Hey guys, welcome back to another week of the news. Today we're covering some climate news, some new oil projects that Biden has to decide on, different flavors of ice cream around the world, unemployment, batteries as always, and a new time zone for the moon. So let's get into some news, shall we? Welcome to the Thought Bistro podcast by Vishwadhan Nakhil. Here we discuss the weekly news, review books, and look at the world from a different lens. Our mission is to provide a platform to explore different ideas and perspectives from around the world and allow our listeners to develop a deeper understanding. So, starting off with the environment, carbon dioxide emissions reached a record high in 2022. Communities around the world emitted more carbon dioxide in 2022 than any other year on record dating back to 1900, a result of air travel rebounding and cities using coal as a low-cost source of power. I generally we start off with like on a high on a good note but this is so important people need to be aware of what we are doing to our environments and as we are consuming more and more energy which is essentially a very very important part of our development as a society as a species we have to find better sources of this energy and we have to transition faster because it is not enough the speed at which we are reducing our carbon footprint is not enough and a lot of it lies with respect to why are cities turning to coal and why are countries turning to coal as an energy source see i think coal is one of the few energy sources which currently is fairly abundant around the world even though it's extremely polluting it is cheap it is easy to use there's not much setup required and it's a very good sort of go to energy source that people have and given the war that is taking place in russia and ukraine the prices of natural gas and oil really shot up through the roof last year i mean oil prices hit i think what was it 110 dollars a barrel at one point last year going up from around what 75 80 dollars a barrel before the war as you can imagine that's a huge change in the oil price so countries had to figure out more economic energy sources so coal was one of the easiest and the quickest to transition onto but unfortunately coal is pathetic for the environment there is certainly an element of that in this discussion but as we speak of these commodity prices the oil barrel price is back to 77 a barrel 77 dollars a barrel and natural gas prices are actually back to 2 and a half dollars a barrel which at one point were at 60 because of the whole nonsense that was happening I think the other issue that is happening is acceptability with respect to coal people or governments I would like to say are more comfortable selling it it it's more acceptable by the common folk that yes our energy is being produced from coal or from petroleum natural gas is coming into the system and very heavily in the western side of the world with Canada and America dominating the natural gas space as a percentage of the total production of energy but it is not fast enough it needs to be faster other than that sources like nuclear sources like hydrogen these sources are viewed in a very negative sense like if i tell you there is a nuclear power plant being set up a city across from your city you'll suddenly start feeling fear and this fear comes from a couple of very isolated incidents very high in damage of course all of those incidents including chernobyl 
but these were incidents that happened a long time ago when the technology was not this advanced and we have much better nuclear power plant setups now and we have much better you know other kind of energy power plants now i think we should put our faith in these power plants a little bit so agil i think when it comes to your point what you're trying to say is very true because the perception that people have when it comes to nuclear they think of a chernobyl they think of a fukushima they think of all these potential mishaps and what potential you know city leveling mishaps at that a coal power plant dude if it catches fire okay fine the power plant will burn down maybe at max just the area surrounding the power plant might be affected but a nuclear power plant if something happens dude that entire city that entire area is uninhabitable for like the next few hundred years not even just you know a short term thing but yeah i mean as we spoke about in our fusion episode as well there is a lot of change in nuclear power in terms of our knowledge on how to extract the power our knowledge of the safety requirements our knowledge of all those kind of things and the way we are able to execute it technology today has come a long way to help us in that and nuclear power is completely clean i think that is the biggest advantage so there's this very very interesting series on netflix it's called inside bill's brain which is about bill gates and an entire episode is about the modernization of nuclear power plants and what kind of work has been put into it and the perception that the area will go bad for 100 years for like so long that perception itself has now been challenged because the kind of control that you can put on these power plants in cases of failure is also you know a very different prospect versus if you go and watch chernobyl on hbo you come to realize how many issues there were internally as well other than just the incident happening i think the problems in a lot of these cases rather than the technology or the kind of energy that we're trying to create is more about again going back to bureaucracy and like you know people try to cut corners and make things cheaper than they should be and that eventually leads to failure you know i like to state this example this example is when there was hydrogen cars and hydro- hydrogen cars were up and coming people used to say oh you're driving a bomb but realistically every car that we are driving is a bomb and it works on very small 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 bombs going off to run the pistons if there is no gap between the pistons and between the fuel tank it is practically a full on bomb with 50 liters of fuel inside it and we don't think about that because of the perception that has been set around certain kind of engines or certain kind of technology that oh yeah this is common there are like a hundred bombs on the street each one of them being a car i think we should like move on trust the technology a little more than we do currently i think it comes on to that old adage man change is very hard to accept but eventually to move forward we must all change so anyway last year's level of emissions though at a record high were lower than experts expected there was increased deployment of renewable energy electric vehicles and heat pumps together which prevented an additional 550 megatons of carbon dioxide emissions so in all the bad news there is a 0.1% good news it's the pandora's box yeah everything is black and then there is like a little bit of hope we can grab onto the hope and expand it a little longer talking about hope there's a german ice cream parlor it offers cricket flavored ice cream and 
cricket as in the insect cricket, not the sport cricket. And what what are your thoughts on it? I see your face, Vishwa. It is not very appetizing. I think I have the same misconception, preconception, whatever you want to call it, to this as people have to nuclear energy, which you were just referring to. I heard the term cricket flavored ice cream, and I just got the creepy crawlies all over my body. I just yeah, I don't think I'm going to be trying this ice cream too soon. But this ice cream creator is very very what shall we say adventurous with his flavors. He's tried. liver sausage ice cream and gorgonzola cheese ice cream as well as gold plated ice cream for 4 euros which is 4.25 dollars per scoop thomas micolino whose store this is says i'm a very curious person and want to try everything and he can now produce the cricket flavor due to a european union regulation that allows the use of insects in food so under the regulation crickets may be frozen dried or used as powder So crickets are actually a very good source of protein. I have never had them. I am open to trying, but like again, I also have a mind block about eating insects. We are facing a climate crisis. A major part of this climate crisis is cattle, and the increase in the population of cattle and the kind of food we have to feed to cattle to make milk at a large scale, to make meat at a large scale, that actually damages the climate a lot. crickets by themselves though a very very renewable source of protein so everybody go out try a cricket flavored ice cream let us know and try it before us so that we are not the ones experimenting so akhil's controversial news of the day is that in 10 years all of us will be eating crickets it don't state me on that <laughs> dude you said it now don't go back on your statement back to the environment President Biden faces a dilemma in a fight over a large Alaskan oil project. So the Biden administration is weighing the approval of a major oil project on Alaska's petroleum-rich North Slope that supporters say represents an economic lifeline for the indigenous communities in the region, but environmentalists say is counter to President Joe Biden's climate goals. So there you have it, but on one end we are looking at electric vehicles, renewable energies, and what not and on the other end you have the north sea and the arctic and that area subject to global warming and ice melting so that's uncovering a lot of the resources that hide underneath and a lot of those resources are petroleum based so here you have the us thinking about the first of many oil fields in alaska the truth of the matter is i read this book by this author called vaclav smil and the book's name is how things really work that talks about converting to renewable energy immediately is a pipe dream converting to renewable energy will take time and in that time we have to fill the time with petroleum the easiest switch is natural gas but it is going to take time right so this is where the whole dilemma comes whether more petroleum should be exploited or not the truth is even in our known current facilities the total amount of petroleum that we have used up till date we have 2x of that in known reserves so the primary purpose in my opinion would be setting up the transition and you know having a transitory mind rather than thinking that oh they are uh, mining for new oil that is wrong it's going to be somewhere in the middle definitely definitely i agree with that but at the same time you think where you're saying that you know we have twice the amount that we have used till date in reserve and then we're looking at further reserves 
So one just questions that is there really a need for these further reserves? Because if we have this much oil already in known areas, why are we, you know, in this mad race for oil? And it's just, it seems counterintuitive when you look at it first glance, but obviously there is the whole economic benefit to it that if you're producing more oil, then, you know, oil comes cheaper to you and that reduces your, you know, expenses on your balance sheet. So that that is a whole other discussion, conundrum, dilemma, topic to think about, whatever you want to call it. And at the end of the day, countries also have a bottom line that they have to support and they can't just spend all the money they have on energy and oil. So I guess this is something that they have to look at. If you look at historical data for evolution of countries, or if you look at historical data for the civilizations that have been at the top, you can start with the Roman civilization, right? And you can go to any bigger kingdom. If you see their energy consumption, and energy involves human beings, energy involves horses, there is no simple way to calculate it, the mechanical energy put in by human beings. But if you see their energy consumptions as estimated by several researchers, I can find and state them in uh, show notes, you will realize that the max energy consumption civilizations usually stand at the top and and the energy consumption directly correlates with the wealth of a nation. That that just makes complete sense because the more energy you're putting in, the more you're going to get out. Right. And there is also this very, very nice correlation. What correlation means is one thing moving next to the other in the same direction. There's a very nice correlation between countries that are cold and countries that are wealthy. So colder countries are generally wealthier countries. And again, why that works is up for debate. But a very interesting argument is they have to set up a particular set of infrastructure. To set up that infrastructure, they need to have more money. To set to have more money, they need to find more resources and they need to adjust their energy consumption. So it's a very beautiful way how economics and all of this works together. But yes, overexploiting any resource is bad for the environment, bad for the long run of the whole species. So we should definitely be careful and look to a transition than anything else. Yeah, and the reason I say, you know, first of many in this Alaskan region is because now with global warming, this whole Arctic passage with the North Sea and Greenland and Alaska and, you know, northern Russia, Norway and this area that we refer to as the North Pole region is slowly defrosting. So there is a lot of stuff that is buried under all those sheets of ice. I think just a, a couple of months ago, I was seeing something about the amount of resources that are buried underneath the ice sheets in Greenland and the amount of oil and minerals and things like that that would be found there. Eventually, once the ice sheets melt, Denmark, which currently owns Greenland, is you know sitting on a potential major hub of resources with just 40 or 50 feet underneath ice. But I just hope that this global warming causing these ice to melt doesn't put all of us underneath a, underneath a sheet of ice before we start looking at the minerals that we might extract out of it. I swear, man. I swear. That is the, that is the biggest concern. So for some positive news, there was this uh, surgeon and his patient, 66-year-old patient, was waiting for to get a organ replacement done. The organ donation route, so organs need to be replaced immediately. As soon as somebody has an organ available, it needs to be transferred to an organ receiver. There is no way of storing them. So on the route 
from one hospital to another in the donation of the organ, there was a race that was happening. The race was blocking the route of the organ donation. So this surgeon just joined the race and went to the other side on foot and then just ran back with the organ in his hand. Kind of like a TV show episode where, you know, it feels so unlifelike, but here it was very lifelike. Yeah, it feels like one of those episodes of Grey's Anatomy or something that you see where these doctors are doing larger-than-life things to get their patients healthy. But here you see, this does happen in real life. So in all of this greenhouse effect and carbon emission and this, you know, us being buried under sheets of ice, there is like a glimmer of hope. I think that's going to keep coming back. And we're going to keep trying to find these positives to bring to you all. In some weird news for the day, we are trying to set up a time for the moon. I don't know, out of nowhere, some random things keep happening. Yeah, they want to set up a time zone on the moon. Can you imagine that? You have Eastern time, Pacific time, Indian time, Greenwich time. Now you're going to have lunar time. The European Space Agency wants to give the moon its own time zone. That could be a challenge in a place where there are 29.5 Earth days between sunrises. And clocks run faster than they do on Earth. But as more spacecraft are launched beyond Earth's orbit, there's a greater need to standardize times at their space destinations. So essentially what's currently happening and the reason they want this to happen is that every mission is timed according to the country from which that mission takes place. So today if India is doing a mission to the moon, everything runs on Indian standard time. Whereas if Britain is doing a mission to the moon, everything is running on Greenwich time, which is the time that's used in Britain. So in order to correlate the timings between India and Britain, you know, one has to do conversions every time because there's no standardized time that they're all planning these missions. So in order to get a standardized reference or a common lunar reference time, the space agencies Pietro Giordano said they are trying to do this so that there is no overlap or confusion or things like that when speaking about moon missions. I guess it's an interesting project for those engineers to take up. Why not just use one of these countries' time as standard when it already exists? It's just out of pride. Then there will be that whole power struggle of, oh, why are you using X countries and why not Y countries? And I think if that kind of a conflict was going to be there, it should already start. Why is India at a plus 530 to the UK time? And why is US at a minus 5? US should be at zero. No, India should be the zeroth time. Like All of this is rubbish, man. These are just... Uh, these are just numbers we use to make our lives easier as a species like let's just treat them for what they are so much politics and everything it's all an ego battle at the end of the day my friend it's all the ego so for the battery news of the day as we always do and we'll continue to do every week something interesting happens in the space of batteries so there are now 3D printed batteries which use a layer of powder and use 40% less material and charge in minutes and they recycle easier. Battery recycling is a genuine problem that we are not facing right now, but we will. It is a given that we will. There is no standard way to dispose of batteries now, and we just end up throwing them out of the trash. But unfortunately, that's not what one should be doing with their batteries. Other than that, when it comes to electrical vehicles, the kind of batteries that are being put in right now, it is very difficult to separate the lithium from the battery shell itself. And lithium is completely recyclable, even after being used. The more ways we have of that future where these batteries are going to be abundantly 
going to need abundant recycling with so many batteries coming into play. Battery technology should evolve faster as well. So these batteries also have their advantages over lithium-ion because they aren't flammable. As we already mentioned, they're easily recyclable. They work in extreme temperatures and they have greater energy density, which means lesser batteries can give you the same amount of energy. I hear so much of the solid-state battery talk. You know, it has been a couple of years, maybe even more than that, since solid-state batteries have been in discussion. There's this company called QuantumScape, which is also trying to do solid-state batteries at scale. I think they have a deal with uh, Panasonic to produce these batteries. But it is still up in the air as to when it will come to market. And the major benefit of this will definitely be the electrical vehicle space more than anything else. Like we talk about EV planes or we talk about, you know, EV cars. So this is this is the, the next area of development. Now that the whole app space is saturating, I think the energy space needs to bounce. So moving on from energy... Net Credit did a study where they showed the cost of retirement around the world via a world map. So they said Singapore is the most expensive country to retire in with a cost of $1.1 million to retire. Switzerland was a close second at 830000 followed by Iceland at 702000 and the US at 702000 Amongst the cheapest countries in the world to retire, Pakistan was the cheapest country in the world with 158,000. India being the second cheapest at 186,000 and Cambodia the third at 199,000. All of these numbers sit in US dollars. And the interesting part is the meaning of I need so much money to retire is not simply I have this money in my bank account or my net worth is this much money. What it means is if I have this much money at the age of 61 and the life expectancy is 76.15, I can take the risk-free rate in a country or I can take what in India we call a fixed deposit rate or in the US you call it a treasury rate. So basically the kind of interest rate your government is willing to provide you with, I can take that kind of an interest rate which is without any risk other than my country just going bankrupt. And I can live the rest of my life on the kind of money I'm pulling in each year from my pool of money. So for example, in India, if you have $186,000 and India returns you a 7% rate of interest, once you convert those $186,000 into rupees, you get around 10.5 lakh rupees a year in, in the current environment. And 10.5 lakh rupees a year per person is a pretty hefty lifestyle in India and it should be very achievable. These numbers are very interesting in that they give you an idea of the cost of living around the world and what it takes for a comfortable life. Today in India, $186,000 will give you a great retired life. Today, a 10.5 lakhs is much more than people's starting salaries. They're like, you know, somewhere what people would earn when they're around in their 30s. So that's a great income to have. And, you know, if you're... This is just an individual person. If there's two of you, you know, if it's a husband and wife together who have this amount of money in each, you have double that. So you're well off to, you know, live your life in a comfortable way. You have people to help. You you can travel and things like that. Maybe not travel around the world, but you can definitely travel around India. I read this very interesting book. It's called The Little Book of Common Sense Investing by John Bogle. So John Bogle was the founder of this company called Vanguard. 
And what Vanguard did is it brought the first index funds into the market. Index funds are a very specific topic, which we will discuss in our next episode about retirement and about index funds and about how a normal investor, somebody who does not understand the nuances of the market should be investing their money or can be investing their money for a limited risk. The total amount discussed in the research, they are haywire. They are not for everybody. They are just an average. But I think it's a great resource to check out. I leave the link in the description. So please do check it out and see it for your own country and see your life overseas if you see yourself there. Yeah, and they've done like this whole breakdown of the 50 states of the United States. And you see the variance there. Here they've given an average of say $700,000 for the United States. But in like a state like California, that number rises to 800,000. Whereas in a state like Indiana, that number comes down to 560,000. Even within the United States, there is a major variance in this number. And it's just very interesting to go through because you get a variety of numbers for these different countries around the world. Just something we found extremely interesting and we thought we'd share with you guys. I think on an end note, to get to this retirement, you'll need an, you need a job. So let's discuss some of the jobless claims which have been a very entertaining source for me. Jobless claims going low is supposed to be a nice for the market, like we discussed in our inflation episode. But jobless claims going low, where people have a lot of jobs and people are not claiming that I am jobless and give me money. They have been getting lower and lower every week. This is the third straight week that jobless claims have been the lowest of all time. So US is in a conundrum. We keep raising interest rates. We are trying to fight inflation. yet. The inflation is not going down and the jobs keep increasing and we don't know what to do. The market starts fearing US is going to raise interest rates again and the market falls for no reason. Every happy news is becoming a sad news for the market. It's just very entertaining. It goes back to that example that we spoke about, man. What you expect to happen and what will actually happen and what, how you react to what actually happens. What do you expect when you're expecting to expect, huh? <laughs> Essentially. But yeah, this is an interesting thing to follow. The US labor market is very fascinating as of now. The relation between the labor market and the market is very fascinating right now. So like, we'll keep you updated. We'll keep things coming your way and you can keep enjoying the funny drama that is happening. Or should we say the funny dramas that are happening all over the world? Pretty much, yes. <laughs> yeah, and... Please, if you come across interesting news pieces and things like that, do send them our way. We love to read all kinds of quirky news as well. And if you have a two-bit on inflation, climate change, what flavor ice cream is the best, hit us up. Definitely cricket. Definitely cricket ice cream. I, I don't think there's a better one. Yeah, and you haven't even tried it and there's no better one? The best. High protein. All right. You're giving me the heebie-jeebies now. Get in the comments of the YouTube videos. It really helps us push our videos out. And do subscribe to our channel if you enjoy the show. So, uh, share it with your loved ones. Hashtag like, share, subscribe, hit that bell icon and support us. Thanks for joining us. We hope to continue to bring you some interesting news from around the world and keep you informed and keep you entertained. We hope to see you again next time. Thank you.